Welcome to the On the Edge podcast with your host, Scott Groves. Yeah, and I'm I'm just as I'm thinking, you know, one of the fun political talking points is the you know wealth disparity and the income gap and this type of stuff. I'm wondering if if really all of this is just a byproduct of these low interest rates, right? Because if you either got lucky or by design or you inherited assets in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And now the cost to carry the debt on those assets has gone nowhere but down. It kind of makes sense that the rich would get richer, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, and we can we can talk about Scott Groves right. here on the ground in LA. If I bought a house that you know has only gone up in value because of inflation, and I've only refinanced the interest rate down, or if you're talking about Jeff Bezos, who could you know build Amazon on a negative income structure where they were losing money for the first 15 years they were around because he could just borrow money so cheaply. Um, I mean, does this explain some of the wealth gap and why the rich are getting richer and the poor who don't own assets that they need to finance are getting poorer? That's exactly it. It is the perception of risk. So I think that cash is king. Now, first rule of corporate finance is cash is king, right? But why is it king? It's because of what you can earn on your capital. You have to deploy it for cash to be king, to cash work for you. In personal finance, and we could talk about my three secrets of becoming wealthy, happy to shut, uh, to, to steal my own thunder. There are no secrets. It's things everybody knows. It's things that you've already mentioned right here on this podcast, but we'll go into those in detail later. But the rich are getting richer because they are willing to take risks, not because, not because that they are inherently more risky, but because they understand what risk really means and the different types of risks. There is capital market risk. There is interest rate risk, right? There are, there are, and now in the personal finance world, there is longevity risk. Am I going to last longer than my capital? There is the risk that I might require care, right? I don't want to talk about that scenario where seven out of 10 people after age 65 aren't going to be able to fend for themselves. They may need help getting out of bed into a wheelchair. We don't want to think about that, but it's a 91% chance that if you have a couple, at least one of them is going to require some expensive care. Hopefully you die in your sleep at the ripe old age of 100 and none of that happens, but the chances of that happening are getting lower and lower and lower, especially as the cost of care is going up and up and up. So when I, when I talk about the risks that people who own capital and understand equities, think about the richest people, you know, who are the richest people, you know, including yourself, including Mike, including a lot of my best clients, they are entrepreneurs. They are people that are willing to take their capital and put it at risk because they're betting on themselves. The reason equities outpace fixed income investments, i.e. bonds, right, and mortgages, is because there is a risk premium. There is a chance you could lose your capital. But if you understand those risks, you know that the risk of your capital fluctuating is higher than the risk of you losing money over full market cycles, right? So how risky was the market way back in March of 2009? The perception was it was higher than ever as the markets were bottoming out. With the benefit of hindsight, we now know we're on the precipice of one of the longest and strongest bull markets ever. And that's during the new normal that they wanted, right? Yeah. Do you know where new normal comes from and some of the expression, Muhammad El Arian from PIMCO and some of the- No. So we no. know what new normal means. We may not know the, the progeny of these terms, but I, I won't get that complicated. All new normal means- is that we need to make sure 
that people are scared of taking risks and or so scared of not earning money that they're willing to take risks. And that is the difference between 1981, right? And where we find ourselves in 2021, Yeah, right? That 40 year difference is that we have to put our money at risk because right now, government bonds aren't paying anything because the governments can't afford to pay the debt. That's the bottom line. Where we were, how much money did we owe in 1981 versus right now? in 2021. That debt has to be cheap. We have to inflate ourselves out of that debt in order to be able to afford it. Now, one side of the aisle thinks we grow ourselves out of that. The other side of the aisle thinks through central planning, we can keep things cheap enough long enough and artificially inflate certain asset classes. Is the answer somewhere in between? I tend to lean more towards growing our way out of it the same way we did in 1981. If we look at the 20 years after 1981, you could argue one of the most prosperous times in this country. Ironically, almost as prosperous as, and some would argue even more so if you look at pockets of it. Ironically, the last time we had rates this low for this long, it was kind of the opposite. It was coming out of World War II. It was the 50s and 60s. Now, in between, we had the 70s to deal with, right? Just as we had maybe a period where the market moved sideways, right? If we look at where we were in 2009, if we looked at where we were in 1981, if we looked at where we were in 1973-74. So what we need is for people to understand the risks that are out there from a personal financial standpoint, not central banks and what's important to them, but what is important to you, right? How do you get your capital to, to move for you? And I'm gonna tell you, Scott, it's not having cash for as long as possible because it right. makes you feel good and you feel as though you can deploy that quickly and be nimble. It's good to be nimble, but you gotta take those risks. You are a business owner. You are capable to take risks that mom and pa freeze maybe can't. So if we understand that, what does that mean for how you structure your long-term portfolio? And I'm not just talking about your market-based property. I'm talking about real estate. I'm talking about commodities. I'm talking about all of those things, including your earning power and your business that are really gonna generate the double-digit returns we need to grow wealthy over time. You, you know, you, you mentioned the thing of like having that goodwill hunting moment where it's like, hey, I'm not mad at you, it's not your fault, you were you were encouraged into doing this. You no, know, I, I've, I've, got a, I've got a realtor, this will blow your mind. I know a realtor who I've worked with on and off for, I don't know, 12 years. We're, we're, currently, we're currently not talking. Um, she knew my serious girlfriend I had, she, she saw me at least with my serious girlfriend who I had in my late twenties, who was black. Um, she knew and had met my ex-wife who was Indian. And she knows that my current wife, my second wife, who will hopefully be my forever wife. If she, if she puts up with me is, is Mexican. And this person knows that I have three mixed race children. However, in the heat of an argument that she disagreed with, a year ago on COVID, her and a couple of her friends who also disagree with me started calling me a racist on Facebook in an argument. And I'm like, you can call me a lot of things. You can call me uh, a college dropout. You can call me an obese fat fuck. You can call me an idiot. You can call me a horrible loan officer. But for you to go there to call me a racist when you know these things about me and my personal life and you know that several of my top referral sources happen to be black 
and or gay and or whatever and and to start making the the racist homophobic arguments because that's just the go-to i'm going to shut down somebody's conversation by calling him a racist to me it was the most horrific thing somebody could say to me and i'm not saying i'm infallible right. i'm not saying in the army i probably didn't say some horrible things or make some off-color jokes just like i think everybody else i've ever known um but to say that i'm racist in any way i was so angry and i've really thought to myself when this covid passes and things open up and i run into those three or four realtors half male half female Am I going to drill them in the face with a left hook, which I think is totally justified? Or am I just going to laugh it off and be like, hey, man, I'm sure you were just having a bad day. You know that's not me. I know that's not you. Let's move on. And frankly, I think both would be justified. A left yeah, hook to the face. Yeah. or Because, I mean, I, I just can't think of a more horrible thing to say in a public space about somebody you work with professionally who counts on referrals for business. And I just, I remember looking at that and I was, I was distraught for like two days. Cause I'm like, I know you don't know that about me. And to use that kind of language to score some political points on a Facebook argument, like how dare you? Um, and it just, it blows my mind. It blows my mind that that's the norm. Well, and that comes from being told it's okay to punch a Nazi, but everybody that disagrees with you is a Nazi. So they're, they are more than willing to throw that left hook, right? And we have to turn the other cheek. You know, we, as I don't want to say we're bigger people, but we've been through this before. All right. Everybody who, who has my opinions is a bad guy. Let me try to explain why maybe I'm not a bad guy. You know, I'm not a bad guy, but let me rationalize is my point of view and then when they when you do and they know it's a rational statement then they have to come out swinging and because that's their defense mechanism so we have to do a better job right of of accepting moving on and then realizing at some point it will get better at some point they will they will just organically see what we all see and, and, and I don't care if that's the person who's in the White House, right? His female successor in the White House, probably before we have another election. Who knows? It's it, everything having to do with this disease that was dangerous. But was it the same as Spanish flu? Well, no, for a lot of reasons, it wasn't. And, and to try to portray it as the end of humanity as we know it, unless you do all the things we tell you to do, I think was just despicable. And it, it goes on to other political realms and other things. In this market, because you mentioned it, where whether it's gold or property or equities or pork bellies or um, collector watches, it doesn't matter what asset class you're Perfect. looking at. Used Good segue, Scott. Thanks for saving me from myself. No, it's fine. You Used Rolexes all the way up to the stock market. Everything feels very frothy and expensive and in some ways overvalued. So even in this market, what are the what are the three strategies to get wealthy with Aaron Freeze? So rule number one is a cliche that we've heard so many times that we're sick of hearing it. Learn to live on less than what you make, right? We also know that is pay yourself first, but if you are never in a position to live on less than what you make, you will never be financially independent, right? So, and that's where Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey Finance 101, personal finance 101, learn to live on less than what you make, okay? So save, save until it hurts, 
the more you save, the earlier you save, and the more abundantly you save, the quicker you'll become financially independent, right? Think about the person who has, from the time they were flipping burgers to the time they started making real money in the mortgage markets, imagine that person has always saved half of their income. Well, if you right now could half of what you you can afford a place in right? Afford a place in Murray in South Carolina, your permanent resident. And maybe you afford a getaway chateau, uh, uh, you know, it's where it's fun to go, right? Learn to live on less than what you make. That's rule number one. You've heard that one before, obviously. Absolutely. And I, I've got a funny story about that. I remember when I, when I, very early on, when I first started doing loans, I took a loan for a guy who is a I don't know, shift manager, maybe a store manager at Jack in a Box. Um, and and I've got to tell you, I, I, you know, in my 20s, working at a bank and wearing a suit to work every day is maybe somebody I would have looked down on. And when I looked at his 401k and he had a million dollars in his Jack in a Box 401k because he started there 20 years ago flipping burgers, maxing out his 401k, and 22, 23 years later, you know, this was probably in the mid 2000s. So he had, he had survived the bubbles and he had ran it up. You know, when I saw that guy and I was like, oh, this guy's buying a house. He's changing the financial direction of his family. And he's got a million dollars in retirement. Um, and he's probably got another 10, 15 years to work. And it's not glamorous. And it's working at fucking Jack in a Box. But he's crushing it just from compound interest. So that really changed my opinion on how much wealth you can accumulate if you save from an early age. So sorry, that's my little anecdotal story. And I'll probably tell that story a 100 more times on this podcast because it really stuck with me in my 20s. And then I didn't learn from it. And I didn't do anything until my 30s. So whoops. But anyway, okay. So uh, live below your means, you know, pay yourself first, save till it hurts. What's number two? Okay. So again, that guy who's got a million dollars in his 401k and he's not done working is probably in a better position that owns a million dollars of personally owned real estate, right? Where they live. He's in a better position. So if you learn to live on less than what you make, rule number two, do something smart with the difference. So what does that mean? It means early on, get to be that guy who has $1,000 in their savings account, which you and I both know most Americans can't do. We are bred to be famous consumers, right? We can buy things with the best of them because that's what we're trained. We're inundated every day, buy this, buy that. It's on our phones. It's on our TVs. Every screen is helping you become a better and better consumer. But no, you have to be a better and better saver and then do something smart with the difference. So Eventually, after you've developed the discipline to have $1,000 in your account, next step is, again, I don't know if this is rule number three or four or what is, but, but Dave tells us, have enough for an adequate emergency and opportunity fund, right? So too many people see that as the rainy day fund, but it is also your opportunity cap. Have a fund fund that regardless of the next paycheck, you can dip into it for some people, depending on their business is only a month or two. For some people, they may want 12 months of liquidity that they can tap like that, right? And so after that, make sure you are putting at least as much into your retirement plan as your employer is matching. That's probably rule 14, but it's in, it's, Dave Ramsey tells us to do the same thing. If you are eligible, which is most people who are starting out, not somebody who's at your level now, 
But if you're eligible, max out, get to the point where you're putting $50 and then $100 and then $500 a month into a Roth IRA, right? That's a very smart place to put capital because they will change the rules. Roth 401ks are newer and they're not as juicy because one, it has to be a distribution from an employer plan. Not every employer plan is going to allow in-service distributions. Two, if you can get a distribution from a Roth 401k, the distribution is not all a return of your basis or your contributions cumulatively. What you get out of a Roth 401k is part interest and part principal, right? So there's going to be a gain component that's going to be taxable. Roth IRA isn't the same way. If you've been putting, and I'm going to use a round number, 5000 a year into your Roth IRA, and if it's worth $120,000 10 years out, well, you've got 50 grand you can tap into without any penalties, right? Without any taxes. So that's a double-edged sword. It is more available and more liquid than other types of retirement plans. But that's one of the reasons we want to put money into a Roth IRA. When they change the rules, the service, the IRS, often grandfathers existing plans. So if you haven't opened one yet and you're eligible, and off the top of my head, I think you have to be married filing jointly under $196,000 of adjusted gross income, right? If you fall below that threshold, whether it's just for one year because of COVID or you haven't filed your return and we're sitting in 2021 and we have until May 17th to make a contribution, we'll go ahead and try to source enough, as much as possible, ideally from your opportunity fund. And maybe in previous years, you made too much, you weren't eligible. If you're eligible, for 2020 and you haven't filed yet, go ahead and make a contribution as big as you can. Get your Roth IRA grandfathered before they change the rules on us. Because again, the Roth 401k is newer than the Roth IRA, which came out in the late 90s. The Pension Protection Act of 2006 gave us the Roth 401k. And again, they're not as juicy as the Roth IRA. You better believe that just like a Roth 401k, they will mandate distributions from a Roth IRA. Well, what do I care if I'm paying taxes? Well, if they can mandate distributions, they will probably institute rules that will mandate how much you can take per year that's still going to be tax-free. Got it. Right? Right now, it's unlimited. You can put your $50,000 away over 10 years, be ineligible for the rest of your life. Let that pocket of $120,000 grow to be a million dollars, right? And all, every dime you take out of it, as long as it's after age 59 and a half, is going to be a qualified distribution and completely tax-free. I could see them changing that down the road to make them less juicy, all right? So what else can you do? Again, contribute to your employer's retirement plan, at least up into the match, then go back and maximize your Roth IRA, but set up what I call a fund fund. Now this is beyond your rainy day and opportunity fund. You can set up a pool of money called a non-qualified account. You ever heard that term before? Yes. So all that means is, the nature of the investment is going to dictate the taxes that you pay. So when I talk about non-qualified, I'm taking out of the realm of IRA and qualified employer-sponsored retirement plan, like a 401k, 403b, 457. So if we have a non-qualified plan, now there are no rules around how much I can stick in it every year. I'm not limited to $6,000 like the Roth. I'm not limited to whatever it is, 19 or 26,000 into a 401k. I also don't have income limits. Like I said before, the AGI limit for a Roth IRA contribution. Well, now you don't have to worry about that. You can make $1.2 million and put money in this account as much as you want, as little as you want. 
You also don't have age restrictions like 59 and a half before the money I take out is deemed qualified. You don't have age 72, used to be 70 and a half before the SECURE Act, which was passed before the CARES Act last year. The SECURE Act meant that now if I have qualified retirement dollars that I've never paid tax on, like most people deferring salary into a 401k, eventually you gotta pay the piper. Do you think that tax bill is gonna be greater today under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, AKA those evil Trump tax cuts? Or do you think taxes are gonna be higher when we got to pay off this now $30 trillion worth of debt. Yeah, I, I mean, think tax is, rates are going to have to go up. This is one of the great scams, right? Because, well, I feel like it's a scam. Maybe it was an accident. When I got my Series 7, uh, when I was at Washington Mutual for eight years where they wanted you to be able to do loans and investments and annuities and open new accounts. So I got my Series 7. I started the CFP series that you completed to get your certified financial planner. And all of the marketing was about have your 401k, have your IRA now where you put money away when your taxes are higher because you're working and presumably earning more money and then take it out in right. 20 or 30 years when taxes are lower. But what's starting to develop is there's never going to be a time period 20 or 30 years from now where taxes are lower. So great, you're deferring you know, money now at a 20, 25, 30% tax rate only to have it grow and then take it out in the future at a, you know, 25, 30, 35, 40, for some people, 50% tax 30, rate. 30, 40 cents. Right. Yeah. So the, the, Especially in California. Yeah. In, in California, we're up to the point where, you know, if you, unless you're on a, you know, LLC or you're self-employed where you can write everything off, if you're just a W-2 employee making over 200, 250 grand, they're going to get 35% of your income. And goodness forbid you go over 500 grand in income on a W-2, they're going to find a way between the federal and the state and all the fees and all the other overhead. They're going to find a way to get 50 cents on the dollar, which is, which is pretty crazy to me. But anyway, that's a whole different conversation. So yeah. rule number one was, you know, spend less than you make. Rule number two is do something smart with the difference. Yeah. Our IRA plans and then your, you know, your non-qualified plans, which is just investing stock market, mutual fund, whatever. And then what's rule number three? Correct. So, and there's a lot more smart things to do. That's where you get into real estate, whether you're starting out, maybe it's in your Roth IRA, you do a real estate investment trust because they're doing all the diversification, all the heavy lifting. Eventually you own your own properties, whether it's the home you live in, a vacation home, or ideally some rental properties. Maybe you're savvy enough to do things on spec and you can buy a property and flip it for two X. I don't know. Maybe it's having permanent cash value life insurance where it's not just a death benefit for the people you care about, but also an asset that grows regardless of what the markets are doing. Or you use that because you can no longer do a Roth IRA. You're maxed out at what you can put in your 401k. And by the way, you are accepting all the risk to grow that pile of money. And then the IRS, after you've taken all that risk, after you've grown the capital says, okay, Scott, I'm ready for my share. Right? So diversify your tax buckets non-qualified Roth, life insurance cash values would still get FIFO treatment. The money I put in, I can get out first without having to pay tax. Thereafter, maybe policy loans. And we can talk about that broad. Again, as a CLU, I can work magic with permanent life insurance. We can talk about that. But that's one and two. Learn to live on less than what you make. Do something smart with the difference. And again, as a, I'm putting this out there because it's my business. You need to have somebody, an accountability partner that you trust to help you do one and two better and better all the time. That's rule number three. Hire someone you trust who is not going to tell you what you want to hear, but what you need to hear to make sure you're saving the right way, that you're 
saving yourself from maybe some of the pitfalls in capital markets or getting over your skis, who is going to look you in the eye when times are really cantankerous and say, Scott, it's okay, right? We planned for this. Everything is all right. Yes, you, you, this asset class is down 38% this year, but it's okay. In fact, you have some money in your opportunity fund. Let's deploy it, right? Let's get a, let's get a discount on that asset class while it's still cheap, right? Stocks are the one thing that people wait until the sale is over before they start buying again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's rules number one, two, and three. Sounds pretty simple, but without number three, it's hard to have somebody to help you do those things. Yeah.